a guy named Daryl Robertson wrote in a book called People Sharing Jesus. He told this story. He says, I was part of a church on the Gulf Coast when God sent a spirit of renewal in the midst of terrible personal tragedy. A 14-year-old boy named Eddie had been drowned in the nearby bayou during a torrential rain the week before. Though we missed the main force of the hurricane that spawned the downpour, the waters of every bay and inlet were raging. Eddie and his brothers had constructed a raft of styrofoam and were floating on the rushing waters near the bayou. As they approached the spillway, the raft broke up. Two of the boys were able to get away and climb the steep walls of concrete walls to, to safety, but Eddie could not get out, and he clung to a piece of styrofoam from the raft, calling for help. The other boys ran home to tell his father, Leroy. Leroy jumped into his pickup truck and raced to the bayou. With Eddie floating just out of reach, Leroy ran back to the truck and got a rope. I threw him the rope, but the rope was too short, Eddie's father lamented. And I saw my boy go over the spillway into the deep waters below. We found his body about 3 o'clock the next morning. When Leroy told me the heart-rending story, I was seated across the desk from him at the funeral home. A chill went down my spine as I visualized the boy screaming, Help me! Somebody help me! I can't hold on much longer. And then he wrote, I could not only see Eddie, but the unbelieving multitudes of our city and the world clinging in desperation to some fragile thread of hope. There are people that we know. There are people that you know. There are people that I know who are desperately clinging to a lifeline, to a thin thread of hope. There are people that we know who don't know Jesus. There are people that we know who are lost in their sins. There are people that we know who, if they were to die at this very moment, they would not spend eternity with God in heaven. There are people that we know, that you know, and that I know. There are people that we know, and that we love, and that we care about, that if they were to die right now, they would go to hell. Think about that for just a moment. The people that you know who don't know Jesus. Can you see a face? Can you see faces? Can you hear the cries of heaven? Can you hear the cries of their hearts saying, Somebody help me, help me, I can't hold on much longer. Can you see their faces? There are people who don't know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, and when they die, they will not go to heaven. They may be good people. They may do good things. But the fact is, is that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one goes to the Father except through Him. Today we're going to talk about the Great Commission. It's the last part of our sermon series on uh, our mission statement that we started back at the beginning of the year. Today is all about the Great Commission. Next week we'll talk about uh, being Christ's ambassadors. We're going to talk about how people need to know the Lord. We're going to talk about how as ambassadors of Christ 
We're the ones who get to tell them about Jesus. We're the ones who get to tell people that Jesus died for them. We represent Christ. What kind of representative are you? That's what we're going to talk about next week. But for today, uh, we're going to bring our sermon series on our mission statement to an end uh, between today and next week. Like I said, today is all about the Great Commission, and next week is all about being Christ's ambassadors. Um, let's, uh, let's, we're going to talk about three commands that Jesus gives in Matthew 28, 18 through 20 uh, as we get started. Three commands that Jesus gives in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and we're going to talk about how we can apply them to our lives. Now, Shannon read it for Call to Worship, but I want to read it one more time. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Amen. Now, the first command that Jesus gives in the Great Commission is to go. Now, in the Greek... The word for translated go is a participle. Now, a participle is a word that typically ends in the letters I-N-G. Doing, running, sleeping, which none of you should be doing right now. Going. That word translated go, therefore go, is probably better translated as while you are going. As you are going, Make disciples of all nations. While you are going, make disciples of all nations. Cole, could you advance to the next slide for me, please? Thanks. Uh, Jesus wanted his followers to do something. They were to carry out the Great Commission while living their lives. While you are going, make disciples of all nations. In other words, it's not a call to be sent out and go somewhere and do something there. It's as you are doing your daily life, as you are working, as you are going to school, as you are shopping at the grocery store, as you are uh, playing at the park, wherever you go, wherever you are going, and whatever you are doing, you are to be sharing the gospel. You are to be spreading the word of God. You are to be telling other people about Jesus. Not always in the words you say, but always in the, at least always in the way that we live, always in the ways that we act. See, Jesus had in mind a, a very global mission when he said go. He did not want the disciples to stay put where they were until they died. He had in mind that they would be going out and that they would be making disciples wherever they went all over the world. The Apostle Paul, think about that guy for a minute. He really took that, that command to go to heart. He was a missions machine. He started churches throughout the Mediterranean, and legend has it that he made it all the way to Spain. He made it all the way to Spain to plant churches. We don't know if he actually made it there or not, but we do know that he had a passion to go and make disciples. He had a passion to go and do what Jesus said to do. And he personally took the gospel to places like Athens, Ephesus, Philippi, Rome, and so on. He took at least three major missionary journeys, and he braved storms, persecution, and imprisonment to fulfill the Great Commission. Paul understood what it meant to go, when, and he went as far as he could. He wrote in Romans chapter 15, verses 19 and 20, from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, which is near modern-day Albania and Yugoslavia, by the way. He says, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. 
You see, Paul didn't keep the faith to himself. You've heard the phrase before, keep the faith, right? You've got to keep the faith. You've got to keep strong. You've got to keep the faith. Jesus tells us, don't just keep the faith. Give it away. Give away the faith. Tell somebody. Get the word out. Spread the message. In his book, The Complete Disciple, Paul W. Powell described this condition. He says, many churches today remind me of a laboring crew trying to gather in a harvest while they sit in the tool shed. They go to the tool shed every Sunday and they study bigger and better methods of agriculture, sharpen their hoes, grease their tractors, and then they get up and go home. They come back that night and do the same thing. They study bigger and better methods of agriculture. They sharpen their hoes, they grease their tractors and go home again. Then Wednesday night, they come back again. They, again, they study bigger and better methods of agriculture. They sharpen their hoes. They grease their machines. They grease their tractors and get up and go home. They do this week in and week out, year in and year out, and nobody ever goes out into the fields to get the harvest. Most churches today have forgotten about the first command of the Great Commission. We're very comfortable. It's a nice day. Sun's starting to come out. It's a very comfortable place to be in. The pews got nice pads on them. The backs are a little hard, but that's okay. The temperature's nice in here, a comfortable 68 degrees. Nobody's freezing. Nobody's sweating too much, I hope. We're very, very comfortable here this morning. It's a nice place to be. We're all relaxed. We sang some great songs. We heard some nice prayers, a good communion meditation. Now you're hearing the best sermon of your life. <sighs> Maybe not. But we get very comfortable, we get very comfortable in our church buildings waiting, 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 waiting for someone to come in. And, and you know what? We're really warm and friendly when people come in and they join us for worship and we try to make them feel at home, right? If you, this is your first time here today, I pray that you feel very welcome and very accepted and very loved because that is exactly what you are. You are welcome here. You are going to be loved on and you are going to be accepted. But see, we're waiting. We're sitting here in our nice, comfy, cozy building waiting for something to happen. We should be warm. We should be welcoming our guests. And, and again, you know, if you look around today and you see somebody that you don't know, introduce yourself. T tell somebody who you are. Say, hi, I'm Sean. Now, of course, you're not going to say, hi, I'm Sean. You're going to say, you know, hi, I'm Bob or I'm Charlie or I'm Tiffany or I'm Ann. You know, whoever you are, tell them who you are, not who I am. Get to know somebody. Build some relationships because that's what the church is based on. It's based on relationships. Everyone wants to feel like they belong and they want to feel like they're part of a family. And that's really what we're working on being is a family. People who love each other and care for each other and get along and bear with one another. But sitting around greeting guests is not what God intended for us to do. Sitting around and greeting guests is not what Jesus had in mind when he gave his disciples the Great Commission. He told his disciples, and I believe that that includes us, he told his disciples to go. While you are going, as you are outside of the building, as you are away from the fellowship, as you are uh, the other, let's say, I don't know, 166 and a half hours a week that you are not in a church building, you should be going and telling people about Jesus. Don't sit around the tool shed talking about bringing in a harvest. Get out there and bring in the harvest. Did you know 75% of people who don't go to church, 75%, three out of every four people who, who do not go to church would go if somebody invited them. So I'd like you to repeat after me real quick, all right? Uh, would you like to go to church with me?
that is so hard. Uh, but Sean, if I invite someone to church, they're going to think I'm some kind of Jesus freak. So? <laughs> is, is that a bad thing? Is it, is it bad to be in love with Jesus? Is it bad to be a Christian? Is it wrong? Is it socially unacceptable? It may be a little socially unacceptable, but who cares? Do you remember what I said like 10 minutes ago? That there are people that we know who do not know Jesus. The people that we do, that we know who don't know Jesus are going to go to hell. And if they at least don't have that opportunity, if they at least don't have someone say to them, would you like to go to church with me? You gave them an opportunity. They can say, no, no thanks, not for me, Jesus freak. That's their choice. That's their journey. That's their decision. But at least you gave them the opportunity to come and hear a message about how Jesus Christ died for them, how he loves them, and how they can go to heaven if they have a relationship with him. You gave them that opportunity. You gave them that chance. Three out of every four say, they could be lying, but three out of every four said that if someone would just ask them that question, would you go to church with me? They would say yes, 75%. Talk about a little bit more about that in a little bit. We need to get out after them. We need to find them. We need to invite them. We need to quit sitting in the tool shed talking about, inviting, uh, talking about bringing in the harvest. We need to get out there and bring in the harvest. Crops do not harvest themselves. I used to live in the cornfields and the bean fields of Illinois for five years down in Atwood, Illinois. Not once. Did I ever see an ear of corn throw itself into a combine? <laughs> Shannon, my wife, last summer, we weren't living in our house, but she, uh, we were, you know, the termite deal. And uh, she, uh, she still planted a garden on our back porch over at the house at the termite-infested place. And uh, she uh, planted a garden back there, and she grew green beans, and she grew tomatoes. And, and she would have to go out there every day and, and water the, the plants and harvest the tomatoes and harvest the green beans and things. You know why? Because never once did a tomato hurl itself onto our kitchen table. Crops do not harvest themselves. We got to go out and get them and bring them in. We sang a song, Days of Elijah, earlier. The fields are as white in the world. The harvest field is ready. Are you ready to harvest? Are you ready to harvest, church? Are you ready to go and get them? Let's go get them. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. We are the workers that God wants to send out into the harvest field. And we have to be willing to do what Jesus commands and go into the world and make disciples of all nations. I am thankful. I praise God for the missionaries who are sent out into the world, for people who go to places like Haiti or Colombia, like uh, Phyllis Munoz, who was here two weeks ago, or Africa or the Philippines. Who is going to be the missionary to Griffith? Who is going to be the missionary to Highland? Who is going to be the missionary to Sherville, to St. John, to, to Hammond, to Gary? Who is going to be the missionary to places like that? Look around. That's us. That's us. Will we do as Jesus said to do, and will we go? That's the question. Second command that Jesus gives is to make disciples of all nations. King James Version says to teach all nations. Teaching is an important part of making disciples, and so was baptism. Jesus did a lot of teaching in the Gospels. In John 3, the book of John, chapter 3, tells us that Jesus even did some baptizing. 
His disciples did a lot of baptizing. In the book of Acts, we see Peter in action on the day of Pentecost. What does he tell the people? He told them all about Jesus Christ. He told them how Jesus died for their sins and how they were the ones who crucified them, crucified him, and how Jesus died and rose again. And the Bible says that the people were cut to the heart in Acts 2.37. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replies in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Peter taught them and then commanded them to be baptized just as Jesus commanded them to do. And on that day in Jerusalem, the disciples baptized 3,000. 3,000 people. Talk about a sermon. Wow. The disciples made others what they were. They made disciples. The disciples were disciples, and they made other people into disciples. They replicated themselves. They were the first ones to clone themselves. They cloned themselves. They turned other people into disciples. How did they make disciples? Through teaching and through baptism. We just celebrated St. Patrick's Day, right? March 17th. Turned the uh, Chicago... Do they still turn the Chicago River green? I drove over the Chicago River on Thursday night, and it did not look green. So the water must have been really moving or something. But I I thought... Anyway. The story is told about the baptism of King Angus by St. Patrick in the middle of the 5th century. How apropos. Sometime during the rite, St. Patrick leaned on his sharp-pointed staff and inadvertently stabbed the king's foot. After the baptism was over, St. Patrick looked down at all the blood, realized what he had done, and begged the king's forgiveness. Why did you suffer this pain in silence, St. Patrick said to the king. The king replied, I thought it was part of the ritual. (laughs) Praise God that that's not part of it. The stab in the foot. I love baptism. It's all great, but to tell you what, the stab in the foot at the end, man, that's rough. I want to talk about teaching and baptism for just a moment and how they affect us. Teaching is so very important. But you know what? In order to be a teacher, in order to teach others, in order to tell people about Jesus, you've got to know about Jesus yourself. You've got to learn some things. You've got to be in a class. You need to be in a Bible study. You need to be reading your Bible. You need to be studying your Bible. We need to know something if we're going to tell others about Jesus. We need to know about him. Because people are going to have questions. They want to know who Jesus is. They want to see Jesus lived out in your life. They want to know what you know. And if you don't know anything about Jesus... You can't tell them anything about Jesus. So get in a class or, or get in your Bible. Talk to me. You know, we offer different Bible studies throughout the week. Think about taking advantage of some of these opportunities to learn more about Christ, to learn more about God's Word. The other, other element about making disciples is baptism. So why, is, why are we so big on baptism? Why do we talk about baptism every week? There's a story that's told of a, uh, a church where the, the minister was very, very big on baptism. Every sermon had, was about baptism. Every single sermon was about baptism. Every week in, week out about baptism. It drove the elders of his church nuts. They said to him, you know, we're going to pick the next passage that you're going to preach on. pastor said, okay. All right, yeah, that's fine. They're like, we've got to come up with a passage of Scripture that there's no way he can talk about baptism with. Okay. Ah, ah, I got it, I got it, I got it. They're going to preach on Genesis chapter 1, the creation of the world. There's no way he can tie baptism into the creation of the world. You're going to preach on creation, Genesis chapter 1. Pastor said, that's fine. 
gets up there, reads Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning was the heaven and the earth, and uh, God created the earth. The earth is covered three-quarters by water. We baptize in water. <laughs> and he's preached to preach the whole sermon on baptism. Anyway, um, so why are we so big on baptism? Why do we talk about baptism a lot? It's because the Bible is big on baptism. It's more than just a ritual. It's more than just a tradition. It is a commandment of Jesus. Matthew chapter 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Make disciples of who? All nations. That means pretty much everybody. All over the world, right? That would be all nations. And what do we do to them? We baptize them. Sounds like Jesus is saying, baptize all the people. What part of Jesus' commands is optional? Is there any command that we can say to Jesus, I, I, I don't think you really meant that. I'm not sure that you really understood what you were saying then, and, and so we think this is more optional. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'll get off that soapbox for a moment. but It's a commandment of Christ. Jesus himself was baptized. He, he gave us his example. We should be like him. We should follow his example and be baptized. There are other scriptures that talk about baptism. Romans chapter 6 talks about that when we're baptized, we are buried into Christ's death and raised to a new life. Sounds like baptism by immersion to me. And not only that, we are baptized into his death. When Jesus died, he, he, he bled. His blood washes over our sins. Where do we come into contact with his blood? It's where he died, in baptism. Colossians 2.12 says that we are buried with Christ in baptism. Galatians talks about how when we are baptized, we are clothed with Christ, right? We are clothed with Christ. When, Jesus, when God looks at you on judgment day, he will not see you. He will see Jesus. Why? Because you are clothed with Christ. 1 Peter 3.20-21 says that Noah was saved through water, just like we are saved through the water of baptism. Jesus said in Mark 16.16, 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Baptism is so important because we are saved by God's grace through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, demonstrated in baptism in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is done by immersion in the water of those who believe in Jesus Christ. So after we go, we make disciples. We go, we make disciples. How do we make disciples? Teaching and baptizing. When people believe in Jesus Christ, then we baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The final commandment that Jesus gives, you're thinking, finally, that word final, goodness. The final commandment that Jesus gives in the Great Commission is to teach. Now, you may be thinking to yourselves, wait a minute, we just talked about teaching. Why are we talking about teaching again? You know, we have talked about teaching, but there's more teaching to be done once a person is baptized. Hebrews 6.1 says, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. Ephesians 4.11-14 says, It is he who gives some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their defeats deceitful scheming. God wants people, he wants his disciples to come to a mature knowledge of Jesus Christ. He wants us to grow up in our faith. He does not want us to be like new disciples who are left like infants who have to fend for themselves. That is why Jesus commands his his disciples to go teach, baptize, and teach. 
1 Peter 2.2 says, Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Once the new disciples have grown in their faith and salvation, it is time for the meat. Hebrews 5.14 says, Solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. That is why it is important to teach new disciples more about their new faith in Jesus Christ. They will grow up. They will no longer be like spiritual infants, but will be able to eat solid food, solid spiritual food as mature believers. Little guy, okay? Uh, I remember the first time I fed him uh, 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 cereal, okay? It never had anything but milk his whole life. He's like six, seven, eight months old, somewhere in there. I, you know, I, I just remember the day. I remember the time. He's sitting there in the high chair. Shannon's at work down at Children's Hospital in St. Paul. And I called her on the phone. I'm like, guess what I'm doing? She's like, you're feeding him, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> we had had conversations about feeding him solid food and uh, feeding him cereal. And um, I, I did it. Um, I wasn't supposed to, but I did. I wanted to see what would happen. And you know what happened? I put a spoonful in, the spoonful came back out. He's like, what is this in my mouth? What is this stuff? I've never had this before. And, you know, he got the hang of it. And it was, you know, a little bit of cereal. And then as he got older and his stomach got, you know, his tummy got a little more mature, he, he tried other things. He tried vegetables and he, he tried, you know, disgusting, strained things. And, he, you know, he ate them for a while, you know, and then he tried things like corn dogs and, and pizza, and, and he liked those things. And then he stopped liking those things, and now he eats like four things and that's it. Cheese quesadillas from Taco Bell, chicken nuggets, grilled cheese sandwiches, and pancakes. That's it. What? And he still eats strained vegetables for some reason. Ugh. But the fact is, he eats more mature food now because he's grown up and has become more mature. Just like a, uh, a disciple does. As they grow up in their faith, they sit at the desk and they learn more about Jesus. You know, we need teachers. We need people to teach. We need people to lead small groups. We need people to uh, sign up out in the foyer. There's some uh, sign-up sheets to teach like kids' worship. We need people to help with our kids' worship service. We need people to sign up and, and talk to Tammy Sutherland or David about being teachers in the Cherubs class for our, our twos, threes, and four-year-olds. We need people to teach there. We need more youth sponsors to help out with things like KFC and Jolt. We are a church that really needs to get serious about studying the Bible and teaching the Bible and, and, and being in Bible study. We need people to help. We need to help disciples learn more about their faith and to mature in their faith. It's the final commandment of the Great Commission, and we don't want to focus just on the first two. We don't want to focus on the going and the baptizing. We want to focus on the teaching as well. We need to teach disciples so that they will grow up in their faith, so they will become spiritually mature Christians. The party was held at the community pool to celebrate the first summer in memory without a drowning at the New Orleans city pool. In honor of the occasion, 200 people gathered, including 100 certified lifeguards. As the party was breaking up and the four lifeguards on duty began to clear the pool, they found a fully dressed body in the deep end. They tried to revive Jerome Moody, who was 31, but it was too late. He had drowned, surrounded by lifeguards celebrating their successful season. There are people, people that you know and people that I know who are dying in their sins and going to hell every day.
And the sad thing is, is that they are surrounded by people who are safe and secure and going to heaven. It's like that guy in the pool who was surrounded by lifeguards. They could have saved him, but they didn't. The Great Commission is not just for a few select people who become missionaries and go to places like the Philippines and China and South Africa and Haiti. It's for all Christians. Every single one of us has to be intentional about going, making disciples, and teaching. So I want to challenge you this morning. I had you repeat some words after me earlier, and I want you to think about those words. Will you go to church with me? I want to challenge you. In two weeks... In two weeks, we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ exclusively on a Sunday morning. We're going to talk about Jesus' resurrection. We're going to talk about the hope that we have because Jesus was raised from the dead in two weeks, in just two weeks. Can you find, in the next 13 days and 23 hours, can you find somebody who doesn't know Jesus and say those words to them? Can you find someone and just say, hey, it's a time of year when people are more open to going to church. And Would you say to somebody in, in the next two weeks, hey, you want to go to church with me on Easter Sunday? You're, I'd like for you to, I'll come pick you up if I have to. But I'd like for you to go to church with me on Easter Sunday. Can you do that? Think about it. Think about that person. Think about the opportunity that they might have to hear the good news and the opportunity that they may have to go to heaven. It sounds, it sounds like mission impossible. But my friends, it's mission possible. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the words of your Son. I thank you for the words of Jesus and the, the commission that he gave us to go and spread the gospel. I pray today that, Lord, you would give us that opportunity, that you give us that chance to invite someone to come and worship, that you might give us a chance to tell somebody about the hope that we have, the, this rock-solid hope of heaven that we have, that you made possible through the death of your Son. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. And Jesus shed his blood we have been forgiven. We praise you and thank you for this wonderful gift. Help us to be bold. Help us to be intentional. Help us to be willing to tell somebody about Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.